can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... Devendra Hardwar and Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Today, what we're going to be discussing is uh, some what we've been watching and then doing an in depth review of Steven Spielberg's newest film, The Post. So that's what we've got on tap for you today. A couple things we want to mention before we get to that at the top of the show, though. Uh, first of all, uh, last week, we released uh, the follow-up to our extensive review of The Last Jedi. Uh, and then the follow-up to the follow-up. <laughs> uh, that has yet to be released, actually. So oh, I'm going to release oh, that okay. this week. Um, but, uh, yeah, I uh, wanted to just touch base about that. We did get a lot of reaction to that mm-hmm. episode, <laughs> let's say. A lot of criticism. For that episode, and there were just a couple things I wanted to. A lot of praise mention. too. A lot of people really loved it. That's right. That's true. That's true. A couple of things I wanted to mention uh, in response to the response to that episode, which was a response to the response uh, to the Last Jedi, which is that first of all, I think a lot of people came away from that episode really upset because they thought that we were either dismissing legitimate complaints about the Last Jedi. Or conflating or, or mixing up legitimate complaints with illegitimate mm-hmm. complaints or uh, calling people who didn't like The Last Jedi racist. You know, like, yeah. I, and I just want to say... I, I like how we had to build up a system to kind of divide <laughs> all this criticism, and even that was too confusing. Yeah, I mean, I, I I, I, so I'll, I'll just say I accept responsibility if people came away with that impression. That was not the impression at all. Um, there are people who have really legitimate criticisms, and it was not my intention to minimize that at all. And if I right. allowed, if I if I either contributed to that or allowed it to happen, that's my bad. And uh, so, just wanted to say sorry for c- communicating that impression. Um, yeah. and- you know, you know what really gets my goat, guys. Just <laughs> just gonna lay this out there. Um, just because we criticize the worst aspect of of like a community or a fan group or something, if that doesn't apply to you, fine. That, we're not talking about you. That's okay. It's these other parts of the fandom exists. Uh, you know, I feel like people can't separate themselves from these groups that they're in. Sometimes I don't know. That said, you know, j- just wanted to acknowledge that there are uh, a bunch of legitimate criticisms. And actually, I recorded an episode of uh, w- with my fiance who only thought the movie was okay and not great, <laughs> uh, which in her, you know, to, in the eyes of the world, makes it that she hated the movie. That you hated the movie. But, uh, yeah, I'll be releasing that sometime in the next week or two. And and at that point, I think I'll be done talking about this movie forever. Uh, I think we're until, done, yeah. At least yeah. until Ryan Johnson comes back on the Slash Filmcast. I've talked to a couple of my other friends who, like, do pop culture stuff. And they're like, you know, 
Yeah, I'm just not going to talk about this movie anymore. Not because it's tiring and also the response to talking about it is just tough. Like right now, guys, I'm dealing with backlash from people who really liked Bright. That is that is the world we live in right now. And uh, the worst kind of backlash, Dimitro. Yeah. The worst kind. It's, it's tough. It's but tough. let's uh, let's not get too carried away because that is part of the fun of why we do this. Like you know, it, it, it is tiresome to have people shout at me on Twitter about <laughs> the fact that I somehow belittled people that didn't like the movie because I liked it so much. Uh, but, you know, it's all about that fun argument. And as long as the argument can stay fun and people can not like or like things, right, my right. liking something doesn't invalidate your not liking it and vice versa. You know, we can argue profusely as we do on the show and that's okay. Somehow the toxicity of the world has seeped into every part of life and, and, uh, the last Jedi, your opinion on the last Jedi is now a blood sport in the same way that, <laughs> that politics is. And it's not equivalent. Some things actually matter and some things are just fun and it's okay for you to be disappointed by a movie you were anticipating. I do. I get that way all the time, but it's also okay for me to overwhelmingly love it. Like we can ar- disagree and argue. It doesn't mean your opinion is not valid. It just means I disagree and I'm going to argue my point vociferously because I love it so much. If you say I hate tomatoes and I love tomatoes, we're never going to agree about tomatoes. We can talk about it. I think you're crazy (laughs) for not liking tomatoes, but I I really like tomatoes. Put tomatoes on everything. But that's okay. That's okay. We've forgotten how to have that discourse. I don't know if this is just something. This is kind of was always there on the internet, but I am all up for like having these discussions with people who don't agree with me, but people just don't know how to do that anymore. I have been inundated with emails telling me, um, that I just I should stop writing about movies because I didn't like Bright, even though I wrote this article at Engadget. <laughs> yeah, I saw. Yeah, I saw about this you wrote an article. And it, was, at Engadget. it was movie analysis about like you know Netflix's strategy for Bright is really weird because it doesn't actually matter if this movie is any good. Uh, I didn't write a review, but people can't seem to c- understand that it's yeah, not a review. It's, you said it's Will it's Smith's Bright analysis. is terrible, but that doesn't matter to Netflix. That's the article at Engadget. We'll link to it in the yeah. show notes. Um, there is one other thing I wanted to mention, which is, you know, the number one criticism we got of the episode last week was, why didn't you have someone on the show that did not like the movie? And uh, I just wanted to, to talk about that very briefly. First of all, uh, I don't know if you've seen Rotten Tomatoes. But- those people are stupid, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jeff's joking. Uh, joking. But, but first of all, those people are actually really hard to find. Uh, I mean, very few people disliked the movie or, or had huge grievances with it because, as you can tell from the Rotten Tomato score, the vast majority of critics lo- loved it. So uh, as a logistical thing, that's just challenging. Another thing I wanted to point out is uh, I-, I made this statement on Twitter, and I still believe it. Having people on the show who disagree does not necessarily make it a better podcast episode. Right. I, I, it's, it can often make it a better podcast episode. It's definitely possible that it can be better, but it doesn't necessarily... Like, I think people think to themselves, oh, if it was just someone with an opposing point of view, like, they would have had such amazing discourse about it. And that's not always the case. I just wanted to say, um, sometimes it can be the case, often it can be the case, it's not always the case, and often yeah. you can have a better conversation if everyone agrees and you're coming at it from the same point of view. Uh, not saying we don't value diverse perspectives on the show, uh, just wanted to say, like... 
I firmly believe that uh, a, a really reasonable, meaningful conversation can be had, even if everyone agrees on the topic. So yeah, and just I think that, that I think that criticism comes from people feeling like they wanted to have been represented. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. and I think that you did a great job of bringing up some of those topics. People may disagree that we did a good job of of addressing them, but we had the discussion with the people that we had the discussion with, and <clears throat> I think, you know, we you know we have a we have a slash film slack. I don't know if you guys know about this, Dave. I don't, you, at no point did you ever at, at mention, no point it ever mention this. Yeah, slackfilmcast.com. Yeah, um, it's great. A lot of people hanging out, talking about stuff. I've just recently got into it uh, because I, I got into Slack. Um, but there are people there who are like, "Oh, what's wrong with you, Jeff? You, you, you literally all you had was was praise, and you wouldn't allow any any uh, negative comment about the movie from any source ever." I'm like. That's not even re- remarkably re- uh, remotely true. I criticized the movie. I like had actual th- in both episodes that we talked about it. I had things that I didn't like, but you know I think people sometimes just feel like if their particular viewpoint isn't represented, then it is a travesty. And and I I we had the conversation we had, and I hope it was entertaining to people. And that's yeah. really the, the only point. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with what you're saying, Jeff. Like there there is there is a human desire. It's a very understandable human desire. To want your viewpoint represented. And so I don't want to dismiss that. Um, but like you said, we had the conversation we had. We always try to welcome diverse perspectives on the show. And we'll continue trying to do that in 2018 as well. So uh, thank you to everyone who listened to one or both of our conversations about The Last Jedi. Uh, there will still be one forthcoming on the Slash Filmcast feed in the next week or two. Uh, okay, another thing I wanted to mention. Terminator 2. UHD. We actually recently got review copies of Terminator 2. Uh, in the mail, and uh, had a chance to watch it. Now, f- now, first of all, guys, this is a this is an odd thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just assumed that these discs were called uh, 4K Blu-rays, but they are like when you go to Amazon to search for them, that's not what they're called. They're called uh, 4K Ultra UHDs. Well, uh, or, 4K or, 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 or 4K Ultra 4K HDs. It'll show up if you search for 4K. Blu-ray. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's all the, like these terms. Like UHD means 4K. That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but like it, it, at the top of the box, it says 4K Ultra HD, and then yep. it says, you know, it's just like Blu-ray plus DVD plus digital. Now it says yeah. 4K Ultra HD plus Ugh. Blu-ray plus digital HD. So I, I they, do. Think, they are not doing this format any favors. Right? <laughs> I this do think the naming is... convention is meant for you to think that it's like not Blu-ray. It's 4K Ultra HD. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. said. Okay, I recently acquired a Xbox One S specifically for the purpose of watching 4K Blu-rays. Uh, yes. And so had a chance to watch this on 4K Blu-ray. I think you guys did as well, right? Um, mm-hmm. And this disc is out, uh, I think, right now. You can buy it right now and get it shipped to you. Uh, it's a, a remaster of Terminator 2. Uh, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I probably bought no less than three copies of Terminator 2 <laughs> I, DVD, I have five DVD. copies of the movie on my shelf right now. It was wow. probably the sixth. Yeah. It was the movie every time a new format came out. Mm-hmm. I, no, well, I not only buying... not only uh, a new format, Jeff, but it, it kind of uh, mastered the art of double dipping. I think right, like there right. was like they, they quadruple dip this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was like an extreme edition and like a uh, Skynet remember... edition. You know, like yeah. <laughs> but, I remember yeah. when DVD. I mean, I'm aging myself here, but. Uh, when DVDs were first hitting the scene, mm-hmm. uh, my roommate and I at the time we were in college, and uh, there was a a place that had DVDs, a, a video store that had DVDs, and there weren't very many video stores that did, and there were like ten total DVDs you could get, yep. and Terminator Two, and yeah, Terminator Two, yeah. right, 
Terminator 2 was like, oh, yeah, that's the one to show off your system, to show off your sweet new DVD player that you spent five hundred dollars for yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so <laughs> uh terminator 4k ultra hd is out now uh and i watched it and damn i think this movie still holds up what do you guys think mm-hmm. it uh it looks beautiful i actually saw this 4k restoration uh at the alamo here in brooklyn uh just a couple of months ago so the movie is fresh in my mind yeah was it 3d and as well when you saw it uh, it was not 3D, thank God. Okay, I, cool. I actually, at this point, I don't even remember. Um, <laughs> it was very good. Oh no, no, it was 3D. Yeah, there was a 3D uh, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, that's what I saw. But, the, uh, but, but you know, the benefit also... of that is that they did restore yep. the movie, and now we, you know, we yes. have it on on uh, 4K Ultra. So now you have this, and I definitely prefer the non 3D version. Um, and also this uh, this disc has HDR too, so like the colors and everything's a little crisper. I am kind of on the fence about HDR being applied to older films, uh, mm. which didn't you know when they, they didn't were even have the technology right they weren't right, filming yeah, they in hdr that. right yeah they weren't filming in hd even right this is all <laughs> film uh they have to basically I, I think i can only take these sorts of remasters if they're like approved by the artists and everything i'm pretty sure james cameron like is pretty controlling of all this stuff this hdr remaster looks great the movie really pops off the screen uh, i can even I, I think some of the special effects were even tweaked a little to look a little better in the higher resolution uh, I haven't looked this up. It just eyeballing it. I think some of the uh, stunt double special effects in the chase sequence, uh, the motorcycle chase sequence, they don't look as bad as they used to. That could, that could have just been done recently. The chrome stuff does not look oh, yeah. great. You mean some the, the T-1000? Yeah. The, yeah, the, the yeah. Ex- extreme uh, resolution does no favors to the chrome. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But mm. it's still a great-looking movie all around, and uh, the sound design still fantastic. Definitely a good reason to, you know, show off your 4K set. Uh, yeah. I think the yeah, I the world-building of, of that movie is so effective and so elegant. Uh, the T-1000, one of the greatest villains of all time, uh, and just how they convey his powers and his abilities. I mean, his his abilities are ridiculous and, and unreasonable, but uh, <laughs> they do a pretty good job of establishing what they are. You, you know, and there's that moment when he walks through the the bars and his gun gets stuck, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it just reminds you, oh yeah, he can't make guns. Like the gun is not part of his body. You know, just little touches like that that I think are really awesome about this movie. Um, and I think the 4K Ultra HD is a great version of the movie to own. This version comes with three versions of the film and two commentaries. I actually don't think that's as many commentaries as on some of the DVDs. or You know, there's so many yeah, special features yeah. for this thing. But what's crazy about this, do you guys uh, see that there is like a scene of this movie that they filmed using Linda Hamilton's twin? You guys remember that? They basically yeah, was yeah. a deleted scene where they take the computer chip out of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's skull, and they filmed it by shooting him into a mirror, but uh, the, there was no mirror. It was actually just like a, a dummy Arnold Schwarzenegger in the foreground and Arnold Schwarzenegger in the mirror version of himself, but then they needed a mirror Linda Hamilton. They just used her twin to do it, uh, and that <laughs> did not make it into the final film. It's just crazy to me that they put that much work into a yeah. deleted scene that didn't end up into the final movie. So, um, yeah. But yeah, the, the 4K Ultra includes deleted scenes. Uh, Jeff sounds like you had a good time with it, yeah? Yeah, I, I have to admit, I basically just watched the big uh, chase that starts in the in the arcade and goes through the the canals, which at the mm-hmm. time that I first was watching Terminator 2 seemed like this faraway place, and I literally live like five minutes from those canals, <laughs> right. um, which is weird to me. And I like the street signs, I'm like, I drive by those every day. Um, but 
it, yeah, that that sequence is amazing. It does look extraordinarily crisp. It's it's crazy how good. I'm used to watching 4K streaming on Amazon and Netflix, and that looks really really good. But there's nothing that compares mm-hmm. to it on a disc in a physical medium like that. Mm-hmm. That you don't lose anything. Yeah, the bitrate is much higher on the discs, and there's no like yeah, no compression artifacts, no like lag that you have to worry about loading. Uh, people make fun of me for buying these discs, but guys, like you're holding in your hand the you know a better quality version of the movie than they projected in most theaters. That's true. It's and we've, insane. We've reached peak old movie, right? Yeah. Like, there, there's yeah. no there's no better way. We're, there's not going to be a time where you're going to see Terminator Two in a better version. Well. Oh, let's hold off there, Jeff. Uh, there, there's always things, right? There's always AK. Yeah, it may not 8K, be a huge Jeff, discernible difference, the 8K. but they're going to do it. I, I, so yeah. you think they're going to remaster Terminator 2 in 8K? Oh, God. Yeah. We, are, we are out of ideas. Yeah, they're going to remaster yeah. everything. We are out of ideas. We, I mean, I'm just I'm prepping for CES right now, and 8K is like the thing. Everyone's like, okay, 4K is here. It's cheap. Everyone can get it. Let's go to the next thing that nobody can afford. That's AK. Um, I don't know if that's really going to offer the benefits to people uh, in their homes, just because yeah. that resolution you won't even notice. But in cinemas, it could be really interesting. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I think, first of all, this Terminator 2 Judgment Day 4K Ultra HD is the best version of this movie that exists for home video right now, right? Yeah. So, And if even you want- most theatrical yeah, like versions. Yeah, if you want the best version, get this version. Uh, it's great. That being said, most homes... I mean, it's very hard for me to mm-hmm. tell the difference. I have a 4K television, 65 inch. It's very hard for me to tell the difference between yeah. 4K and Blu-ray. Um, I mean, I, I think there is a difference, but it's just it is. So I, I'm curious whether you know. I don't think the jump from 8K to 4K is going to be the yeah. jump from like you know 480p to HD. You know what I'm saying? Like I just don't mm-hmm. think. No, we're beyond we're beyond that that kind of leap ever yeah. happening again. Yeah. The only thing we're going to jump to is some sort of like holographic image in your living room. <laughs> well, you know? maybe maybe like I could see VR getting higher resolution. You know what I mean? Oh, like sure. that, that could be yeah. interesting, yeah. you know? Um, but you're so, never going to watch Terminator 2 inside Terminator 2. It's just not possible. So I, that's why I'm saying like, I think there are going to be my, – my kid, when he's my age, is going to be watching uh, narrative films mm-hmm. in a completely different way. And that's awesome. But I don't think he's going to be watching old movies any better than right. this disc can give it to him. Hopefully just... they, they'll still be watching it there, right? They'll be like, oh, look, what is this flat 2D thing? It's not even it's not even holographic. <laughs> it doesn't know, even tap right? into my spinal cord. Or yeah, yeah it doesn't brain, give me the sensation know? of driving down the street. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that, that disc is out now. Just wanted to, to give it a shout out. One other thing I wanted to get to before we get to what we've been watching. Which is, I had this exchange on Twitter today that I thought would be illustrative for a lot of people. Uh, I was tweeting with Chris Evangelista from uh, the website, slash film.com. And uh, he said uh, the following, quote, Unimportant hot take, this releasing something on digital HD weeks before it hits Blu-ray idea is bullshit and I'd like studios to stop it. And then I tweeted back, I agree with every word here except the implication that this is unimportant. Uh, and so you, got, you guys may have noticed this, that a lot of movies come out on video on demand before they mm-hmm. come out on Blu-ray. And Kills me. Yeah. This is very irritating because people like the people who listen to the show and people like you and me, guys, uh, we like buying the Blu-ray. And it comes with a digital copy if we want the digital copy. But the Blu-ray uh, or the 4K Blu-ray gives you one of the best presentations of that, of that uh, film or, or property. 
and I got this uh, private message from someone who works in the industry. Uh, and this person wrote, quote, although it may be frustrating for consumers, when distributors shifted to an early release window for digital purchase available before digital rental, it led to a huge spike in revenue because people who would otherwise rent go ahead and pay the higher price to purchase since uh, mm. that's all that's available. Since the DVD release is tied to rental, that's going to be the case for the foreseeable future. Uh, then they also said, the craziest part, there is no sign that a longer purchase-only window negatively impacts rental at all. Uh, people who are going to rent are still going to rent two to three weeks later, and some of them can be convinced to buy it if it means they get to watch it earlier. So as a result, there's a good chance you'll start to see longer purchase-only windows, not shorter. Ugh. So I think this, you know, this exists because of Redbox, right? Like uh, Redbox yeah, is Red, the reason for this. Redbox and and just pe- yeah, and people our, yeah. our need for instant gratification. Well, no, I'm saying yeah. that the 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 tying of mm. the rental to the physical release is because of Redbox, right? Because yeah, there's no although, other- although there's other ways to rent it, like mm. uh, you could use like Netflix's Blu-ray service, for instance. You know, like so it's not just yeah. Redbox, but basically. But I think for most, I think the the reason that this is happening, most people. Most the most impact that is being uh, we're seeing here is from Redbox. I would venture to guess. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, a reasonable guess. So uh, you know what this person is saying is that uh, when you, I mean, I, I saw a lot of hullabaloo on my Twitter feed about how it was a colossal mistake for uh, them not to offer the movie It on Blu-ray. Like it would have made such a, an amazing gift. This It that made hundreds of millions of dollars. Why just have it on on video on demand? And the answer is because um, there's a lot of people who would only rent it. They would never buy it. But if it's on video on demand for $15, they'll just buy it. Uh, mm-hmm. And the studio will make more money ultimately because the people who will buy it on Blu-ray are going to wait and buy it on Blu-ray anyway. But there's some people uh, who wouldn't buy it on Blu-ray but who might just be convinced to pay $15 to mm-hmm. buy it on video on demand instead yeah, of It's renting. the price of a movie ticket. Like it's, yeah. it's not that big of a purchase in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I mean the u- ultimate answer to this question, Dave, uh, isn't one you're not going to like but I think you already know which is that we are a dying breed and we are <laughs> clutch- clutching desperately onto a format that is already dead and yes. most most yeah. people aren't going to have physical <laughs> blu-rays in 5 10 years it's just not it's just not going to be a viable right. way to distribute movies I, I do wonder like i do think hd like traditional blu-rays which are super cheap and easy to produce and get out there like they have a long lifespan because think of how many blu-ray players are out there at this point right there there's just so much coverage for it 4k blu-ray which uh, we were just praising one uh it's a format i love because it's so pristine but you look at the prices of these 4k you know digital releases now uh thanks to apple and the apple tv and itunes uh they forced the price down it used to be 30 bucks for a 4K copy of a movie, and uh, now it's between fifteen and twenty dollars because they didn't raise their prices. And Apple's also upgrading people's iTunes libraries uh, for free if the movie supports 4K. And that's so, a good like, thing. That's a it's good a good thing. thing. But that is, you know, streaming is where it's at. Really, that's and, the, and it's one. People yeah. have Apple TVs and Roku's and stuff like that instead of things that take discs. Yes. So that's what's happening is that people don't even have. Right. I mean, unless they have a, a game console, they don't have a thing that accepts discs attached to their TV. They have their cable box, and less and less so even that, and they have these digital streaming things. As long as it gets Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and all the things that those services offer, 
they don't even it doesn't even accept a disc. So I, I think that mm-hmm. we're in the waning days of that tech. Indeed. That's Indeed. A shame. Well, everything you just said makes me really depressed, Jeff. But in the meantime, I'm going <laughs> to rage against the dying of the light by waiting for the Blu-ray of it to come out. Instead, that'll of, show him, uh, Dave. That'll show him. That's you know. It made a difference for that one, the guy is throwing starfish into the sea. All right, anyway. Just, just <laughs> um, stay down in the sewer and wait until it strolls by with, I don't know. I'm trying to make a... <laughs> Before we get to uh, to what we've been watching, there's one last question I want to ask you guys, which is, did you get any cool uh, movie-related gifts for Christmas? Anything interesting huh. uh, mm. you guys want to mention? Uh, uh, my brother got me the uh, the Twin Peaks, uh, the new oh, series, nice. uh, Blu-ray yeah. set. Which, which, by is the way, nice. is a is a series that suffered heavily from being streamed. I will say, yeah, uh, yeah, a lot yeah, of it uh, terrible. Yeah, a lot of uh, um, uh, black colors in that mm-hmm. uh, season of the show that just did not look good being super compressed. Yeah. Over, Showtime over streaming time. is not nearly as good as HBO's, so, yeah. and it really shows. So it, it did it did not look good, and I was like, this is going to look way better on Blu-ray. Um, yeah. And so and there are all uh, these. There's a lot of special features. There's a lot of new stuff in the Blu-ray. So I'm looking forward to cracking that. Nice. Uh, anything, uh, Jeff, that you got or or uh, gave to someone uh, that well, to the movies? I gave myself a, a gift, and you guys are going. Oh yeah, I heard. Yeah. I saw this right. Of me. Yeah. What did you get? Fun of me. Uh, well, um, thanks to De- Devendra <laughs> tweeting out a uh, well, Devendra for a lot of reasons, but most recently for Devendra <laughs> tweeting out. Uh, the best price ever on uh, that uh, LG OLED. Oh my God, TV. Jeff! Yes, I got one. Uh, not to replace my my living room television, but to have a uh, an office television. Okay. Uh, so now I have I have an HDR OLED. T- I got got the small one, the fifty five. <laughs> but uh, yeah, how does it look? So that was my big splurge. It looks real good, guys. It looks really good, especially because it's in a very small room, which is my office. So mm. it, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty nice. Very cool. And were you thinking to yourself, man, that eighty-inch TV of yours? Like, what, what are you what are you going to do with that thing, Jeff? Uh, how long are you going to keep that eighty-inch TV around? <clears throat> well, because because the story, were... the backstory is that you have an eighty-inch TV. It does four K, right? It's it's a great television. But I it... I've n- love that television more than I've ever loved any television I've ever owned. I, the, the remote is great. This is a Vizio, by the way, it's a Vizio 80 inch. Um, no, I have no vested interest in promoting Vizio. I just bought this television and really like it. Um, you make good TVs. They do. They do. And I literally bought it the year before that model had the HDR capability because I'm an idiot. Actually it's because my TV that I had died. Uh, it was, it, it had a big, crazy, weird green line, through it mm. um and so i had to upgrade and was not just not smart and uh, mm-hmm. got the but i do love it it's still great i don't miss other than hearing davindra mostly talk about how great hdr is and he's not wrong um and that's always in the back of my mind the tv itself is is phenomenal and it's great but i do want to mostly have the hdr for for gaming it's not really even movie watching that i want hdr mm-hmm. for uh, it's mm-hmm. mostly for gaming, and, and so, so so many new games are supporting it now too. Like Assassin's yeah. Creed looks amazing with that. Yeah, Horizon stuff. Zero Dawn. Yeah. It, like these games really pop with HDR. So I put it in the office. I hooked up the Xbox One X to it, and that's really what I'm using it for. Um, and it's better because I have a a one year old with another kid on the way, and uh, we're trying to keep them screen free. So I don't really get to game in the living room anyway. Ah, the living, okay. Yeah, the living room television is mostly for 
uh, my wife and I, when the kids are asleep, watching streaming TV or watching movies or stuff. So it's still great. Every, everything's working out great, Dave. It's great. <laughs> It's all good. It's great. Jeff, l- let me tell you this. Go look at the uh, Daredevil, the first episode, uh, that scene where he brings, um, uh, what's her face, uh, into the apartment where he's showing off his apartment and mm-hmm. just the darkness of his apartment and the like neon sign outside of that. Watch that scene on the OLED, then watch that scene on your other TV. Yeah. And, uh, and then yeah. throw my other TV in the garbage. That, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Can you Can you name the TV that you bought, Jeff, just so people uh, know what it is? Yeah, it's that one that got the crazy uh, Black Friday deal. That's what I bought. Vindra tweeted it out, and I clicked it, unfortunately, and then all of a sudden I was buying it. Um, <laughs> it don't know what it, happened. My hand took, uh, took control of itself. I don't, know, yeah. I don't know what happened. I woke up in a stupor. I don't know what happened. Um, it's the LG OLED. I, I can't remember the model number. I don't know if you know it. Divindra it's probably the B7 hand. or the C7. Yeah. No, I think it's the B7. Yeah, yeah. it's the it was like under fifteen hundred dollars uh, on, which is still a lot of money, but like a really great price for that TV. And I splurged and and got it. Awesome. Uh, well, my fiance got me a Sonos Playbase for Christmas. Did you already we, have one of those? Dave? I already had one, but we have two televisions. Ah. And uh, she got me one for the second one, so we could have like surround sound on both TVs. One of the the one I have nice. it on is my 50 inch, and I have a 65 inch uh, 4K TV that we didn't have a Sonos Playbase for. And uh, Are you guys having competing playbases? It's it's a, awesome. A playbase off. Uh, I'm very grateful for it, and uh, that I mean that's how much I, we we had Sonos as a sponsor, but we really do love their products, and oh, yeah. I've gotten a ton of those little Play One speakers. Uh, as she puts it, the, the little Play Ones have kind of colonized the entire house. Uh, so we're all Sonos all the time in the house now, and uh, it's it's great. Like the, uh, you 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 play music more when you have good speakers to play it out of. So uh, really grateful for that. Also, guys, uh, I. I Backed this Indiegogo campaign three months ago called the Capsule Projector. Have you guys heard of this thing? Yeah. This is a a projector that is the size of a Coke can. And apparently it has like Android running on it so you can run Netflix off of it. And uh, I got this specifically so we could watch uh, TV in bed. Uh, without even oh, needing ceiling? to lean up, like you wow. could just project it onto on the, the ceiling. ceiling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I have no idea if it will work, but it's kind of this thing. I, I forked over a couple hundred bucks for this like three months ago, and I, and the minute I pressed back this campaign, <laughs> I regretted. I was like, why yeah. did I do that? Because you, you have no idea what you're backing when you do an Indiegogo mm-hmm. campaign. You know, like it it could end up being nothing. Like people could just take the money and run. This has happened before. Um, you need to back someone who has like a uh, proven track record. Now, that being said, this this uh, projector, I believe, is created by Anker, who is a very uh, well-regarded electronics manufacturer. But they'd never made a projector before. Yeah. So and they're uh, on Indiegogo. So and, they're not exactly. Well, Indiegogo, very well respected, uh, very, uh, well respected uh, for for some. Like it's it's better I'm than Kickstarter in they... some ways. No, I'm not. I'm not dissing Indiegogo. I'm dissing the idea of needing to crowdfund it. <laughs> yeah, well they needed to gauge the uh, the uh, uh, what do you call it? demand for such a product right. before they went in for it. Uh, but it's, the, it's probably a good idea too, because like the micro, the Pico projector technology has gotten really good over the yeah. past couple of years. So yeah, you you could stuff that thing into can easily. The, so how do you how do you what do you do? How do you put it on your bed? <laughs> I don't know. So first of all, keep it, uh, still. it is literally supposed to get to my doorstep today sometime. So I have oh. not received it yet. But I, I could not – because I'll be one of the first people on the planet to own this thing. 
and uh, I'm very excited to to kind of try it out and talk about it. So hopefully, nice. you need to report back. Yeah, I will report back because this I could be life changing, guys. I anticipate a lot of frustrated knocking of it over. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's definitely uh, very possible. So, that, but that's the capsule projector. I'll tell you guys about it next week. Um, this, yeah, and mistaking it for a Coke can, all sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it it is. I think it's shaped like a cocaine. It's meant to be, you know, uh, that size. It's less than a pound. Um, I, I did actually try buying uh, another portable projector before, um, and it did not work out. Uh, Devendra, I think you have a projector at your house, right? Yeah, yeah. I love projectors. Like when you're talking about getting to much bigger screen sizes, I'd much rather have like a little projector spitting out a 100 inch image than like, you know, a giant TV. Uh, but these tiny things are really useful too. Like you could take them in the bedroom, like you're saying. You could take them outside if you had a backyard, and right, have like yeah. a little, you know, barbecue viewing session. Yeah. Uh, a few months ago, I got the Riff 6 Cube Pico projector uh, for around $200. And I brought it home and the audio did not work. Uh, and so that was a huge bummer. But uh, really hoping this capsule projector changes how lazy I feel I can be while watching movies, which is not even needing to get out of the bed. So. No such thing as too lazy, Dave. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. That's a lot of preamble to what we've been watching. Let's get to it. We've been watching a ton of stuff. The haters always say, Tanya, tell the truth. There's no such thing as truth. Everyone has their own truth. I was the best figure skater in the world at one point in time. Call out a clean skate. Stop talking to her. That girl is your enemy. Jeff was my first date ever. And my mom came. You need to see a wholesome American family. I don't have a wholesome American family. Nothing's ever your fault. I was embarrassed for you. My entire life, I've been told I wouldn't amount to anything. You know what? Maybe I would. Jeff Kanata, take us through it. Yes, indeed. It is uh, officially screener season here in lovely Los Angeles, uh, which means because of all of the various awards, this town is flooded with people getting first run and even pre first run yes. movies in the mail, uh, so that they will be considered for award season. Uh, and therefore I have been just binging on all of these movies that, uh, I've been excited to see all these award contender films. So there's a number of them that I've watched. Um, let's start with I, Tanya. Uh, I'm not sure if we've talked about that yet on the show. Did, Vinter, did you talk about that already? No, I still haven't seen it. So, oh, right, right. Yeah. Um, I very much enjoyed I, Tanya. It is, it is an unconventional – it is not a movie that I would think I would like. Uh, but uh, it, it is a story I lived through and feel very tired of hearing about. And yet uh, this telling of the movie, of the story of, of Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan uh, really actually revealed a lot of information that I wasn't aware of and made it very interesting. It's almost um, it's almost history by way of Coen Brothers uh, it feels almost like what I love about a Coen Brothers movie, and it's shot with such panache and uh, style and and uh, kineticism that is uh, really incredible. Um, yeah, I liked, it kind of calls back to Scorsese in a lot of ways with the yeah. camera movements and the nonstop uh, period-appropriate music. 
It really uh, does feel like if Goodfellas was about figure skating, yes. it would be this movie. Agreed. Nice. Agreed. Yeah. It's like um, a, like you you think it's going to you know I actually I remember this time period as well. First of all, I Tanya, one of my favorite films of the year, and I I, I think it's actually uh, out in limited release right now. I don't think it's getting a very big release, which I think is a tragedy. If you have a chance to go see this in a theater, go see it in a theater. It's awesome. Uh, but uh, what I love about this movie is you know living through it is one thing, but the way they tell the story, what do you do? when you have conflicting interview accounts? Like, what, what do you do when you have two people telling the same story in different ways? Um, this movie finds some interesting uh, methods to resolve that. Uh, so yeah. I, I remember watching some pretty bad made-for-TV movies about this oh, sure. scenario. Like, I remember, I think I watched, like, a made-for-TV movie about it, and it was so melodramatic. And So I was expecting this would be kind of like a lame biopic about Tanya Harding, yeah. and I, I back had when, very low expectations, right? Back when this this kind of story was, you know, once every few years instead of like nightly, you know, not now the the Tanya Harding type story, the tabloid type story, is literally every day in the news. <laughs> but there was a time when this was like this crazy thing that dominated news coverage and and seemed so outside the norm that yeah, we let's make a TV movie about it because what. But now it feels like, yeah, it's just America every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was expecting this to be lame biopic. What I got was, like you said, Jeff, some kind of combination between Fargo and Goodfellas, except about ice skating. Uh, yeah. So I think it's it's marvelous. Check it out. Uh, it's really great. And Margot Ro- – I mean, all the performances are great. I would say the, the three MVPs are Margot Robbie, who plays Tanya Harding, Allison Janney, who plays Tanya Harding's mom, and Sebastian Stan, the Winter Soldier, unrecognizable as Jeff Galuli in this movie. So, Oh, uh, I disagree. I disagree, Dave. Uh, I have to find his name. But... The guy who played Sean Eckhart? Yes. <laughs> that guy's amazing. What did they find him? He's so good. I got I to gotta find his name so we get it right. Uh, yeah, but Paul Sean... Walter Hauser. Yes. He is uh, – he deserves award consideration. He's phenomenal in that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a great film and uh, it will surprise you. Don't go in just expecting kind of a, an ice skating biopic. It's much more interesting than that and it tackles challenging topics like domestic violence, like classism in Olympic figure skating, you know. Uh, like a uh, relationship between you know a mom and uh, a child who's trying to get that child to succeed in an extremely competitive sport. A lot of stuff thrown in there, uh, and a lot of it really interesting. Very well done. So, I Tanya's the movie out in limited release right now. Uh, check it out. Jeff Kanata, what else you been watching? I also last night watched Downsizing, the new uh, Alexander Payne, Matt Damon film. Um, <laughs> this is I, I really liked this movie. I really liked it a lot. It is uh, a wonderfully imaginative sci-fi premise. Uh, I will say the premise if you don't want to know what it's about, which I think would be wonderful if you didn't want to know what it's about. Skip forward a little bit. Uh, but it is literally about uh, the solution to our problem of uh, resources and global warming on on planet Earth here being – that we will just shrink human beings. There was a scientific breakthrough to shrink human beings down to like Smurf size, and uh, therefore they will require uh, 
exponentially less resources and space on the planet and we can potentially save the planet by just shrinking people but it's a voluntary voluntary thing and um matt damon and his wife decide to join one of these colonies of small people and it, it where it goes is very unexpected and i actually the the premise is so tantalizing and there are so many ramifications for it and the way the movie handles the setup which is like the first third of the movie is so great like it really shows you the process of this it jumps forward in time a bunch of times to show you how it this tech sort of caught on with the populace and gives you this sort of very plausible sense that i mean it really could never happen but you know this plausible sense that oh this would be kind of maybe how it might happen and all of that is so up my alley. It's so juicy and interesting and because I'm such a sci-fi nerd anyway, but like these near future ideas of what the world might be like if it was just uh, tweaked a little bit. I just – I love that. And the movie does a great job of of exploring those things, but there are so many other aspects of it that you can imagine – aspects of that world that you can imagine exploring and the movie does not do. And and in fact, because it, it, it is a quite long movie, it's well over two hours. It kind of gets sidetracked into doing something else, which a lot of science fiction movies are. The sci-fi premise is just a backdrop upon which to examine character and human behavior. And that's fine. That's what sci-fi does quite often. But I found it to be a little bit like they abandoned the central idea here and just kind of got completely obsessed with character, which is okay, but I, I missed out on some of what could have been explored if they had been more focused on seeing that world and, and understanding how it relates to our world and commenting. And instead, it became something quite different, which I won't mentioned but nevertheless i think a really fun movie and a really interesting movie and one i would recommend so that movie's downsizing it's uh written uh, written and directed by alexander payne uh and jeff i saw the movie as well i agree with you on one part the setup and the premise are really interesting and well done like the all the stuff in the first 30 minutes i would say is is pretty fascinating uh i disagree with virtually everything else you said i think this is one of the worst movies i've seen this year (laughs) Uh, wow, really? Yeah, it's getting eviscerated. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, I liked it. It, it's, I, it, I is a, it. it is a, it is, it is a. I think it's just so bad, and it just didn't. <laughs> it did not warrant the two plus hour runtime. Um, I, I, I'll, I'll list a few few things I didn't like about it, and then uh, you know we don't need to have a whole conversation, but a few things I didn't like about it. First of all, uh, Matt Damon is is the protagonist. He is the least interesting character in the whole movie. Uh, <laughs> That's the point. I, yeah. I don't give a shit about what Matt Damon's inner life is. What do you mean? That's the point. That is not the point. You're you're meant to relate with Matt Damon. You're no, meant you're to sympathize well, yeah, you with him. You're you're you're, you're meant to you're told- meant to be emotionally invested in his emotional journey, which I was not whatsoever. So I you, you are you you are constantly told he's pathetic and. Uh, a sad person. Like, there's one character that literally tells him to his face that he's pathetic more than once, and that's yeah. kind of the point. Like, he is this—he's this, he's this uh, yeah. passive observer in his own life. So, and, and the movie is therefore supposed to be about him becoming p- from passive to go to active. You know, like to right. go from being pathetic to non-pathetic. And I just simply, first of all, found that journey 
completely unconvincing, but also I just didn't care about it. You know, I didn't I didn't care if he became non-pathetic at all. Um, I agree with you that the the entire premise is squandered. Like the direction, the movie goes in three different directions halfway through, and you never really settles on one direction. So none of them land particularly satisfyingly. And finally, Jeff, you know I got to bring this up. Hong Chao plays a fairly problematic character in this movie. Oof. Now, uh, the, the reason, one reason you know it's problematic is she is not featured in any of the advertising of this movie. And if they were really happy with how She's that character went. I'm sorry, what was that? She's on the poster that I saw. Oh, really? Well, she I mean, and she it, and Matt Damon are like hugging on a poster that I saw. Interesting. Well, none of the trailers like allude to that being uh, probably the main relationship in this movie, right? I mean, it is. Uh, it is a huge component of the film that is just glossed over in all the uh, all the trailers, and well, it's also uh, a surprise. Yeah, I Jeff. Mean, it's not. Uh, I'm sure that's why they left it out. Anyway, I, I just I don't agree that uh, that that is the reason they left it out. I mean, like they they left it out because I think if they showed it in the trailer, people would say what they think, which is that this is an incredibly racist portrayal of an Asian character in film. And I think it is – it does two things that you're not supposed to do. Walter Chaw in his review said that uh, Hong Chao is, quote, a figure set up as both an object of derision and a holy relic, end quote, which I think are, are two things you're not supposed to uh, reduce minority characters down to in movies. So clearly I'm, I'm not seeing this movie through the same lens you are. Um, so I can only speak to my own uh, interpretation, but – I never laughed at her accent. I didn't even think it was there for laughs. I, I honestly, I don't. I can't think of a single moment in the movie where it's played as a joke. Um, I, I honestly don't. I don't know of a single moment where we're supposed to laugh at her accent. Okay, I, I, I could get into it, but you know, it would be spoilery. But I, 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 I'll, I I'll never just say agree, agree to disagree with you on that one. I think. Uh, I, I trust your intentions, and I trust that you did not laugh. Um, but I think many people did or will, and I find that troubling. Um, I also, you know, I've read interviews with Hong Chao. Like, I, I, I think it's it's a very fraught territory because, on the one hand, uh, there are people like ta- that talk similarly to the, the way this character talks, and uh, I, I do think that those people's stories should be told. Uh, I just don't feel like this was the right way to do it. And uh, so, you know, that was one of the film's many problems for me. But sad to say, Jeff, I just did not like the film. (laughs) But that's downsizing, and I think it's out in limited release right now, or will be soon. What else have you been watching, Jeff Kanata? Molly's Game. I also watched Molly's Game, which is Aaron Sorkin's, uh, I think, directorial debut, I want to say. Um, he certainly wrote the screenplay and directed Molly's Game, starring Jessica Chastain and others. Uh, this is directly in the Venn diagram of things I love. Aaron Sorkin <laughs> and poker. Uh, I, I love poker movies. I, I love poker movies. I just find them fascinating and interesting. And they're almost – it's hard to find a poker movie that I didn't like at least a little bit. Um, so – the fact that you have this guy creating this subject matter, uh, I'm already excited, and I I loved it. I loved it. Um, it is very Aaron Sorkin-y. It is very people sitting in a room talking at each other. Uh, but I love that. I love that dialogue. I think Jessica Chastain just knocks it out of the park. Idris Elba is also in this movie and is awesome. Uh, the I like the way it's told. It is. Uh, 
sort of a, a I mean, it, it violates all of the things that you learn in screenwriting school, right? All the, all the screenwriting books say, don't have a character who gives voiceover. Don't, don't have narrative voiceover as, as the main way to deliver information. And he just constantly does that, but it's a fun ride, man. It, it is, I think fast and fun and, and, uh, um, full of really cool moments, a really cool tension. I got emotional at the end. It's about relationships and, and there's a, a moment with Kevin Costner at the end that f- is really powerful. Um, for me, at least I loved Molly's game. Um, I'm sure I'm going to be told that most people hate it. Is that right? Uh, no, I've heard it's, uh, it's pretty good. Well, also, uh, mm-hmm. I've seen the film and I also really loved it, Jeff. Oh, good. Uh, I I thought it was great. It's yeah. hugely entertaining, and hugely. I, I desperately yeah. want to put it on my top ten, you know, of the year. I I don't think it's going to make it, but it's just so much fun. I, as usual, I do disagree with you about something, which is the uh, uh, these, the the moment you're talking about. And I'm not going to say too much about it. Uh, I, I will say that there is like a, a moment in the movie where characters are just saying the themes of uh the movie at each other and that really bothered me but uh i think this is sorkin at his best molly's game Mm -hmm. is and um uh, what's also fascinating about it is there is a movie called miss sloan that came out last year do you guys see this movie yeah, no. looks like indistinguishable from this one. Yeah, so it also stars Jessica Chastain. It's written by <laughs> a person named Jonathan Pereira, uh, and it's about, you know it's like the same kind yeah. of deal. Who's actually she, Aaron Sorkin in disguise? Well, she's it's in insane. she's in this kind of. Uh, did you see the movie, Devendra? No, no, no. Yeah, I've so just she, seen a lot of footage. From you know, it. she yeah. she's a woman in this male dominated world that needs to like prove herself and whatever. And uh, it's written by Jonathan Pereira and. Jonathan Pereira is very much a Aaron Sorkin, you know, stu- or student of the Aaron Sorkin school of screenwriting. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it is very painfully uh, like a wannabe Aaron Sorkin script. Like the, the the style of dialogue is extremely similar. So it offers a fascinating comparison to Molly's Game, which is like you see, it's like watching a a copy, like a black and white copy of <laughs> of. Uh, you know, some, something that is of the original, right? The original is Molly's Game, and Miss Sloan is like a black and white copy of it. It is fascinating to compare the two because you get to see kind of what is it that makes Sorkin Sorkin? What, what is it that makes his work kind of pop in a way that other people who try to be like Sorkin maybe don't succeed at doing? So uh, I, I really enjoyed the movie, and Miss Sloan <laughs> is just a really interesting comparison because there's so many similarities between the two films. Uh, but Molly's Game, out in limited release right now. And that's what Jess Kanata's been watching. Devin, you're hard You've been watching a few things. I've been watching Bright, Netflix's first uh, big blockbuster, I guess we could call it. Stars Will Smith, directed by David Ayer. It feels a lot like David Ayer's other L.A. cop movies. Uh, he's He's had many of them. I feel like this guy just can't get away from this subject matter. Uh, what's different about it, though, is that it's set in a world that's sort of like, uh, if, if you imagine, like, uh, I don't know, if the Lord of the Rings world became modern times. So, like, most of the fantasy mythology is still there. There, there are orcs, there are elves. Um, it uses the fantasy creatures as sort of like a racial allegory, which uh, is not great, honestly. Um, the the What this movie is really about is about Joel Edgerton as an orc. And I feel really bad for Joel Edgerton in this movie because I feel like he's trying his damnedest and he probably had to live through, I don't know, hours of makeup every day <laughs> to get into this character. And it's just like a thankless movie, right? All this effort put into to what? 
Uh, he is uh, the only orc cop on the force. Uh, everybody is discriminating against him. Will Smith is basically also kind of like he doesn't want this guy as his partner. Uh, also is very racist towards orcs. It is really weird how this movie has racial allegories around fantasy creatures and completely doesn't acknowledge like the actual, I don't know, the actual racial uh, structural problems that we actually face um, while also like diving into all the like, I think all the like uh, the stereotypes you see among like gangbangers, among like African Americans and Latinos, like it's a very it's a weird script because it's trying to combine high fantasy with all these damn tropes, and it, it just doesn't really gel for me. Uh, also written by Max Landis, a guy who uh, a lot of people just uh, don't really like. He's kind of a jerk, from what I hear. Um, yeah, there, there's just not much going on in this movie. Uh, it is a big fantasy thing. It feels like it was written by an algorithm in a way. It feels like uh, if you like Will Smith in Bad Boys and you also like Will Smith in Independence Day and you also like Lord of the Rings, kind of kind of stuff all those together and you have maybe a movie. Uh, but it's just it's not really entertaining. Will Smith's character is just kind of like kind of an asshole and not like the fun kind of assholes he used to play. He's more just like straight up bigoted asshole who eventually like finds some sort of uh he, he eventually like finds a reason not to hate orcs uh just just not great like the action's really lazy the writing is terrible uh, i also feel bad for numi rapace in this movie who plays sort of like an evil orc ninja and honestly she gives her all she uh she also has like a crew of other orc ninja or not orc ninjas elf ninjas um and, you know, she has a crew and they're, they're pretty badass, but th- that that's it. This movie is a huge mess. Um, and to me, also, it just feels really strange, too, because uh, Netflix greenlit a sequel before it was even released, um, even though it's it, the, the actual result is so terrible. Like, I think on some level it was a success for Netflix, either uh, because it convinced more people to subscribe or something. I don't know. I wrote about it a bit on Engadget. Um, that, that's just the weird thing. So I, yeah, bad movie, start of a potentially really bad trend for Netflix. Mm. Well, that's bright. It's on Netflix. I've heard it's pretty, pretty terrible and it's pretty uh, brutal. Yeah. And I've heard the world building is, is pretty rough. Like <laughs> the, the orcs, the orcs like heavy metal guys. Like, did you ever, did you ever think of that? Well, my the question is, like have the orcs been part of the world for the last, like, how long have they been part of the world? Like, I think they've they they've just always been a part of that world. Like the orcs did something very bad because in pretty much every fantasy universe, right? Everybody hates orcs. No, nobody <laughs> likes the orcs. The, so yeah. but, they they did something bad against the humans like thousands of years ago, and people still hate them. You know, in modern times because of that. Right. So I, I heard, my understanding is I've not seen the movie, but my understanding is that the orcs and all the fantasy elements have theoretically been around forever, yeah. but that the movie treats them as though they've only been around for the last like two years or whatever like like <laughs> as though it just instantly happened because there's all these things that come up that right. make it that it doesn't feel like a world that would have resulted if orcs had been here for thousands of years you know? i don't know um, like uh, you're asking logical questions to a script that i think is very very bad and doesn't ask those <laughs> questions so yeah it's it, they definitely didn't think of that the movie did cost 90 million dollars it's one of netflix's biggest productions <sighs> um and yeah they did announce a, a sequel uh, I think it's reported at this point. I think uh, it was the Wall Street Journal or Forbes like reported that the sequel was confirmed, but Netflix hasn't officially announced right. it. It's a big kind of show of confidence that like, hey, yeah. we really like this movie. Of course, uh, if the reaction is brutal and if the numbers don't perform that well, I, I could see them quietly taking it off the schedule. So uh, yeah. we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But um, I'm, here's the thing. Here's the dilemma 
Devendra, is I, I want to watch this movie to see if it's bad, which I've heard it is. But uh-huh. if I watch it, then to Netflix, I, I like I have justified their investment in Bright. Yeah, yeah, you've proven them right. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I, I think what I would prefer is if I could get a used Blu-ray copy of this movie, uh, then Netflix would never know that I've watched it. Right? Yeah, and then I can still that. talk about how bad it is. It's also so. playing in some theaters, like a handful of theaters around the country, if you really want to mm. suffer through this movie. so I, uh, there's that. I'm very torn about it. Anyway, what else have you been watching, <laughs> Devendra? Uh, I also saw Beyond Skyline. Uh, have you guys heard of this movie? This is the sequel to Skyline. Oh, finally. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, well, Skyline was a nothing burger of a movie that came out a few years ago, but apparently Beyond it. Skyline... It was terrible. Uh, yeah. Apparently, Skyline uh, Beyond Skyline is actually decent. Is this correct? It's I would say decent. It is a much more enjoyable film than Bright was for me. It is uh, you know B grade science fiction stuff. It is a direct sequel to Skyline. None of the uh, the characters we don't remember from that movie. None of them appear. I think Eric <laughs> Balfour was in that movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this one stars Frank Grillo uh, as a as like a grizzled ex cop who has to fight the aliens. And but enough about awesome. the purge anarchy. Enough no, about okay. the Purge I, I, I mean, Frank Grillo, this is pretty much the role he's playing now forever. You know, have you like, guys seen Frank Grillo's uh, Netflix movie, Wheelman? Anybody I have not. That? I really want to yeah, see that. I'm going to check that out. Uh, anyway. I also want to say, uh, Iko Uwais is in this movie, too, oh, from nice. The Raid. This movie has, you know, the giant alien, you know, destruction that you're expecting. It flips through several genres at once. Like, it becomes a kaiju battle movie at one point. Like, because Iko's in here, there's a big martial arts battle. There's a lot of gunplay. Uh, you know, it's all it's all pretty competent. I, I think it's like a fun, you know, B grade sci fi movie. It's not anything I'd rush out to see, but I am surprised. Like uh, coming out of Skyline, which is a movie that was so forgettable and so like ineptly made, uh, this is actually a you know a watchable sci fi thing. If this showed up on the Sci Fi Channel, I think a lot of people would enjoy this movie because it's better than most of the stuff you see on the Sci Fi Channel. Cool. Well, that's Beyond Skyline. It's on video <laughs> on demand right now. What else are we watching, Devendra? Uh, just quickly, I also want to talk about a couple TV shows that uh, are now fully on Netflix. So the fourth season of Halt and Catch Fire is up there now, the final season. I just finished watching that. Um, for a show that I initially hated uh, in the first season, it's ended up being one of the best shows on television, mm. which is surprising to me. Um, it started out being an exploration of like uh, the PC manufacturers in Texas in the 80s. Very exciting. Uh, and they, you know, jump time all the way to like the mid '90s, and they're at the birth of the internet, and just trying to like deal with the rise of technology and the, ch- you know, every uh, the change that all of that represents. Um, the show really builds on its characters really well, and I think somewhere along season one, they start to des- they start to focus on the women more, which who are just far more interesting than the guys in the show. Like Lee Pace p- plays a guy who initially is like a uh, Don Draper knockoff in the 80s and he really felt like that in the first season and things got a lot more complex and a lot more interesting and um you know by season four uh i had to stop watching the show after a certain point during my rewatch because it was making me question my mortality like there wow. is there's a lot of heavy stuff happening uh things happening you know out of nowhere uh but just a really well-written show a great show about the rise of technology and how society adapts to it and, uh, you know, also a great show about, like, women in tech and in business trying to fight for their place. So I think it does all that stuff really well. Worth checking out, especially. It's all on Netflix now. If you're questioning your mortality, does that mean you thought you might be immortal? No, I, uh, <laughs> I'm questioning, like, what am I doing with my life? And uh, uh, if I die tomorrow, I, I don't know. What, what would happen? Uh, that's sort of questioning your mortality. <laughs> I thought you meant, like, 
am I mortal? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be that would be a good thing. Um, I mean, uh, my next show, Ash vs. Evil Dead, which is also on Netflix. Well, you know, that could make you question if you're immortal or not. Uh, this uh, <laughs> I talked about it uh, when it premiered. I believe it's a stars show. Yeah, I think so. Um, I talked about it when the first season premiered, kind of fell off of it, uh, kind of, uh, I'm just rewatching it now. This show is so much fun. If you miss like just classic Sam Raimi, if you miss like the, the insane gore and, you know, Bruce Campbell's like campiness and the fun of like something like, uh, was it drag me to hell? Just like the, the gore and the insanity of that, uh, of that movie. That movie is just really gross at times too. This things with vomit that I still remember to this day. Um, Ash vs. Evil Dead continues on the mythology from the movies. Uh, it has a lot of fun with it, too. And Lucy Lawless appears. Um, she ends up being a major character in the show. Worth checking out because it's on Netflix. Uh, just a really fun watch. Just uh, don't watch it while you're eating because this show loves to be gross. And uh, I don't know. It's just fun to see the Sam Raimi crew having fun with something like this again. That's Ash versus the Evil Dead. It's on Netflix, as is Halt yep. and Catch Fire Season 4. The whole show is on Netflix? The whole show is there. And nice. uh, two seasons of Ash versus Evil Dead. Yeah. Cool. All right, that's what Davinger's been watching. All right, we are we are running long, but I got a, f- a couple things I want to run, run through real quick. First of all, I've been doing a lot of catching up. Um, I had a chance to see Wind River, the Taylor Sheridan movie. Mm-hmm. Do you guys see this? Any of you see this? No, I'm looking. It's on my list. Yeah. Me too. I'm dying to see this. I really want to watch it before our top ten of the year. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. it's. I would say it's worth watching uh, before your top ten of the year. Like, can I ask you? Yeah. You know, Jeff, we were thinking of recording the top ten today, and you said no. There's some things I still got to watch. Can I ask yeah. you guys what your like what what movies you still feel like you have to watch before your top ten? Out of curiosity, three three billboards. Uh, mm-hmm. I have to see that. Uh, Wind River is on that list. Um, Oh God! There's like three. I mean, I really want to see a Darkest Hour. Mm. Um, uh, what else is there that I haven't seen yet? Devendra, anything you want to? You, you, uh, I Tanya, Phantom Thread, uh, Wind River for yeah. sure. Um, Call Me by Your Name, which I'm hearing a lot yes. of good things about. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm going to try to watch as many of those as possible before our top ten episode. Don't know if I'll succeed, but you know that's what we'll we'll yeah. go for. We do what we can, basically, yeah. especially yeah. since this isn't our full time job. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Indeed, we we always say on on DLC, which just released our video game uh, game of the year episode, uh, based on an incomplete sampling. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a chance to check out Wind River, and it's on video on demand. Uh, and this is kind of the third film in Taylor Sheridan's unofficial uh, quote unquote frontier trilogy, right? Uh, Sicario and Hell or High Water were the first two films of that trilogy. It's pretty good, guys. Uh, this is a murder mystery movie, uh, and I won't say very much about the plot other than that uh, I think it definitely has the production values to justify it being a film. It has some great performances by Elizabeth Olsen and Jeremy Renner as well as a bunch of other actors in the movie. Uh, and the violence in the movie is shocking and horrifying, mm-hmm. and there's some genuinely inventive sequences so I would recommend it. Uh, and I, I don't think it'll be on my top 10, but I totally understand why some people would put it on their top 10. I think it's really uh, powerful and effectively done and has a message that I think a lot of people need to hear. So Wind River, it's available right now on Video On Demand. Wanted to give a shout out to Ozark Season 1. I got a yes. lot of got a lot of messages, Jeff. You know, I know you love those arc season one, but I got a lot of messages from people saying, "Oh, just you know, after the the, the season premiere, the movie, the show gets really terrible." You know, and uh, until the finale, and I kept waiting for it to get terrible, and it never did. 
right. I I really it enjoyed never gets it. Terrible. I, I I do think that its tone is relentless. Like it is extremely bleak, and like it has a pretty pessimistic worldview. And I can understand why people would get tired of that. You know, um, I but yes, but I but I, I more really pessimistic than a lot of shows about. You know, anti-heroes. I just think there's very little humor. Like Breaking Bad had a ton of humor, even in its darkest moments. And I just don't think Ozark has the the humor that a show like mm. Breaking Bad or even The Shield had. Um, so that's that's the one problem uh, I have about it. But other than that, I think it's it's really brilliant. Jason Bateman and Laura Linney uh, are are brilliant in the show. I mean, Laura Linney, one of my favorite actresses, but the work she does here is just phenomenal. So. Ozark My favorite thing one. about that show is that most – it's is kind of a genre about sort of average-esque people creating a web of lies and then getting trapped in their web of lies and how are they going to get out. You know, that's, that's the genre, Sopranos, yeah. The Shield, Breaking Bad, all those shows. And Ozark is when he's cornered, the dude tells the truth. Right. And I love that about it. It's such an interesting take. It's so cool. Uh, so that's Ozark season one. Had a chance to watch that, and I'd recommend it. Uh, and there is a season two coming, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. And finally, guys, I had a chance to watch a documentary called The Beginning uh, about the Phantom Menace. Have you guys heard? This is the documentary, the oh yeah, sixty-six yeah. minute documentary that is on the DVD of <laughs> Star Wars: The Phantom Menace, <laughs> and. First of all, it is an amazing documentary. So I, I would just say if you have any curiosity about how the Star Wars Phantom Menace was made, go watch this this documentary. You realize what heroes the design team is on that movie. <laughs> well, for, I mean, I expected watching it to be like, oh, my gosh, this is a – <laughs> like this is the creation of a nonstop train wreck. I, I when I tweeted about, it, I called it the anti Lost in La Mancha. It's like a behind the scenes <laughs> like nonstop train wreck about a movie that did make it into theaters. You know, like that's that's why it's an anti Lost in La Mancha. But uh, it actually does give you an appreciation for a lot of the stuff that uh, the Phantom Menace did right. So, for instance, there's a scene in the documentary where uh, George Lucas goes to uh, Skywalker Sound and does the pod racing, uh, like views the pod racing scene with Gary Rydstrom, who's a legendary uh, sound designer. And you hear like all the pod racing sounds. And it's just awesome. You know, I mean, the pod racing scene is one of the better scenes in Star Wars Phantom Menace. And um, to hear them make the sound is, is awesome. To hear them make the music is great, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Duel of the Fates lightsaber sequence, in my opinion, is still a really effective lightsaber sequence. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Which Lucas, like, barely touched on his own, too. Like, that was mostly the stunt guy, right? Uh, I don't know, dude. It's, it's, so I somebody mean, it, did a retrospective. Uh, I forget who it was, a uh, site recently. If you, if you look up the Duel of the Fates retrospective, uh, it is pretty much the stunt coordinator, right? The script was like, they fight. <laughs> that, so, that, yeah, that's it. He is, you know, you do see him call like action and cut on that scene. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not like he's like, not, it's not like it was completely second unit as far, as far right, as right. I, uh, as far as I know. Um, yeah. but the only thing I, I think is worth pointing out, uh, other than that about this, this, uh, documentary which is available in its entirety on youtube is that uh, like these behind the scenes things have gotten so 
ridiculously polished now. Like I saw the behind the scenes making of for uh, The Force Awakens, and it's always like, oh my gosh, J.J. Abrams is the be- most brilliant guy ever, and this is the best experience of my life working on this movie. It, oh, so brilliant. Such an amazing visionary storyteller. You know, Yeah, um, it's an EPK now. It's an EPK now, right. It's like a 70-minute EPK. This movie, the beginning, making Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, gives you a warts and all view of the creation of a film that we are just never going to get ever again for a Star Wars film. I don't think, you know, um, yeah, especially it's too protected now. now. It's so protected now, right? But Disney owns it, right? Uh, and so, for that reason alone, I think it's worth checking out because it's it's an unprecedented look at the making of Star Wars in a way that you'll never get again, probably. And and um, you know why? Because of episode one. I mean, they went, they, they went into that movie thinking this is going to be the greatest thing in the world. Right. And, yeah. and we are just going to show people how it was made because it's a piece of history. When I mean, it, no one, no one thought episode one would not be good. No right. one. Yeah. Yeah. The most hilarious part is they is to do the Jar Jar Binks, right? This is before we had any of the modern technology. They had the actor playing Jar Jar Binks walk around dressed as Jar Jar Binks in this incredibly hot costume. Uh, in, uh, like, and often the weather where they were shooting was like 130 degrees. Uh, and, and their intention was to do head replacement on him afterwards, right? They just replace the head and keep the body. But then afterwards, they realized that it would be cheaper to just replace the entire body. So he really didn't need to walk around with full suit the whole time. Yeah. Uh, and it was Ahmed uh, Best, the <laughs> the the most uh, <laughs> you know that lived the most uh, shat upon <laughs> Star Wars experience of all time. Yeah. Also, uh, the fact that the the character is like one of the most hated characters of all time. No, that's what uh, I mean. Like the entire yeah. scope of every like he <laughs> gave it his all. He was in it. You you you're Ahmed Best, and you're sitting there in 1991 or whenever it is, and you get the call that you're going to be the new <laughs> character in Star Wars, and uh, you just think. That's it. My life is yeah. is made forever. I want to see his movie, like his story. <laughs> honestly, yeah, uh, yeah. So it, it is fascinating, like behind the scenes. It, like it, it just, it, it's such an interesting look that I'd recommend it for anyone. Again, it's the beginning, making Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. It's on YouTube right now, uh, and it is on Star Wars's official YouTube channel. So uh, I'm curious how long that's going to last, but it is well worth watching for anyone interested in the filmmaking process. Okay. That's what we've been watching this week. A lot of stuff. Uh, and before we get to our review of the post, got to thank all the people that donated to the podcast this week. Devin Kraft, Scott Thornton, Richard Polish, uh, Jamie Richmond, William Kang, and Zach Clifford, the latter of whom recommends a documentary called The Work. Have you guys heard of The Work? Mm-mm, no. This is a documentary I tried to watch at the Seattle International Film Festival. Didn't get around to it. Uh, Matt Singer has been singing its praises as one of the best documentaries of the year. It's basically about like uh, a, a kind of a look at the group therapy process inside of a prison is uh, what the work is about. So I am actually really curious to watch that movie. Uh, going to try to get to it before I, uh, we do our top 10 episode. But uh, thanks, Zach Clifford, for that recommendation and for the donation. Um, thanks to everyone for donating. If you want to help us defray the cost of doing the show and putting it on, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast. We really appreciate it, especially this time of year. Let's get to our review of Steven Spielberg's The Post. 
So, can I ask you a hypothetical question? Oh, dear, I don't like hypothetical questions. Well, I don't think you're gonna like the real one, either. Do you have the papers? Not yet. This is a devastating security breach that was leaked out of the Pentagon. The most highly classified documents of the war. The Times has 7,000 pages detailing how the White House has been lying about the Vietnam War for 30 years. The way they lied, those days have to be over. Okay, people are concerned about having a woman in charge of the paper. That she doesn't have the resolve to make the tough choices. Thank you, Arthur, for your frankness. Let's do our jobs. Find those pages. You're talking about exposing years of government secrets. Is that legal? What is it you think we do here for a living, kid? That was from the trailer of Steven Spielberg's The Post, which stars Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A cover-up that spanned four U.S. presidents pushed the country's first female newspaper publisher and a hard-driving editor to join an unprecedented battle between journalists and government. Uh, all right, guys, the the post is about uh, the Pentagon Papers, and I, we can't really talk about the movie that much <laughs> without spoiling aspects of real life. So uh, if you don't want to be spoiled about anything about the post – then just stop listening, read the Wikipedia entry, watch the movie, come back to this uh, review. Otherwise, you should assume that we're just going to basically spoil the movie uh, from the beginning. So um, starting in a few seconds, the post will be spoiled from you. But I, I can pretty much guarantee that if you know anything about how this went down in real life, there's not going to be that much that the movie reveals about how it went down that you don't already know. So all that said, the post spoiler starting now, Jeff Kanata. Hit us up. What would you think of this movie? Well, first, before I even get to that, Dave, I have to tell you that um, I had I mentioned already that it is screener season. And I actually watched the post as a screener. I actually brought it to my dad's house and we all watched it as a family because I said, I need to watch this for, for my job. And let's all sit around and watch this. And the reason I mentioned that is because I, like many people listening, perhaps uh, around the holidays, performed uh, a heroic act uh, whilst in the process of watching that movie. We turned it on, and about 38 seconds into the movie, I went, Dad, give me the remote. Mm. And he's like, what? I said, give me the remote. And uh, he handed it over, and I went in, and I turned off all the motion smoothing options because the post looked like the video post. <laughs> it looked. It looked. It awful. looked like a football game, basically. Yeah. Yes, yes. And he's like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Dad, can you tell that this looks better?" He's like, I- "It looks the same to me." I was like, "Just trust me, then." <laughs> anyway, so I had I had to give that little anecdote because I'm sure, having just gone through the holiday season, uh, there are quite a few listeners who performed the same heroic act in their families, and we should all high five about that. All right. Uh, so the post. Now, this is a movie that seems to be made for me. I love I love Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep and Spiel, Steven Spielberg. I love politics. I love history. I love process movies. I love seeing the inner workings of smart people doing their jobs well. Love movies about that. Uh, I, uh, I, it feels like... I should love this movie. 
And I wanted – oh, I also love uh, Mr. Show. Mr. Show is one of my favorite shows of all time. And this <laughs> – there's kind of a Mr. Show reunion in this movie, uh, which is delightful and unexpected. Kind of, um, a, kind of a Breaking Bad reunion as well with Jesse Plemons in the film. <laughs> yeah, you know. exactly. Uh, so uh, this is movie is set up for me to love it. And I didn't dislike it. I just found it to be uh, pretty underwhelming as a film. Uh, it it basically is an entire movie that leads up to one decision and we already know how the decision is going to go. And it doesn't seem to be as much, um, acting as, <laughs> as, uh, Meryl Streep brings to it. She uses her acting, use your acting. Uh, you know, she brings Sturm and Drong to that, to that decision-making process of whether to publish the Pentagon papers or not as much as is brought to that moment. It still doesn't, particularly feel very interesting. And I don't think that we are really brought into that process in a way that is compelling to me or revelatory, which is even the bigger sin I think this movie conveys, which is like guys get juicy information. Guys sit and look at juicy information. Guys recognize juicy information is juicy Guys decide whether or not they're going to publish juicy information. Lady who owns paper makes decision. It, <laughs> it, it is, I believe it is as, as uh, generalized and nonspecific as that. It is – there is no <laughs> that, that insight. That is a brutal and accurate summation of the film, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> right? It is Brutal it is, and accurate. It is as uh, as unspecific as that. It, it, there is no insight into – any of that pro- – what these guys are doing, it just shows them doing stuff. Like they're doing stuff. They're looking over things. And it looking does show at- the process, like some of the process. Yeah, but, yeah, but you, you, compare it to, you compare it to yeah. a movie like Spotlight, which is a movie yes. about journalism. Like that, right. that is yeah. – it, it takes you into the process of what is required in journalism. This movie doesn't really do any of that. Uh, yeah, but so I don't I, – don't, like not, not to dissuade too much from what you're saying too, Jeff. I, I just – it's a very different movie. Yeah. Spotlight. Yeah, yeah. Like this is this is Kay Graham's story, and I think it does give us insight into her, like what she had to go through, like that monumental decision to do that. It sounds like not much when you when you say it aloud. I think a lot of historical, you know, uh, films like this can be boiled down pretty simply. But I think it does a decent job of giving us a sense of what she had to go through. At right. Least. What, what her the story stakes were. Right. Like what what yeah. the stakes were. How she was viewed by the world. You know yeah. what, what what the Washington put, Post was at that right. point. What yeah. she put at risk. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't disagree <laughs> with any of that. And and I there are some fun moments. Like I said, I didn't dislike the movie. I, it, there are some interesting moments. Uh, moments where everybody is on a call with her, where it's like just leave the lady alone. But it and it shows you know that what that that environment was like back then and how she had all the power and yet Mm -hmm. had none of the power and really had to assert her power. Uh, but I think ultimately it's very thin as a film for me. And, uh, like, like Dave brought up, I did keep comparing it to spotlight or all the president's men, uh, you know, movies that are, like he said, about journalism, about what that responsibility is like and how that, how the machinations of power bounce up against journalism. And especially because we're living through a time where that is 
could not be more essential, could not be a, a more impactful point to make. And I just feel like this movie barely makes it. It, it barely makes it. And it's because it just, I think, glosses over the most interesting stuff for me and feels just doesn't feel substantial. It feels thin and ultimately kind of a less lesser a movie for it. Devinder, it sounds like you like the movie a little bit more than Jeff. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't think it's like a knockout hit, um, but I do like the movie quite a bit. I think this is, you know, it's yet another entry uh, in Steven Spielberg's like really sober um, historical films at this point, right? Like Lincoln and Bridge of Spies, and this is his next one. Yeah. And I, you know, I forget, uh, did, did you guys like Bridge of Spies and Lincoln? Yeah. I bet Lincoln's a great example mm-hmm. of it feeling like, a substantial look into that right. moment of time and all of the machinations that were going on and how everybody was manipulating Lincoln or trying to, I, I just felt like it was a yeah. much heavier movie. Um, yeah. I mean, it's because it is juggling both a character that we haven't really heard much about, right? Like she was also an essential part of uh, the whole, um, everything happening with Watergate as well. Right. And she was pretty much written out of all the president's men. So like, this isn't a character that we've ever really seen represented on screen. Uh, so I, I do think like just what she's going through, like who, who is this person who, you know, owns, uh, the Washington post, who's the publisher. She kind of fell into this, even though it's her family's paper, but her husband had the job initially and everybody, it it feels like everyone's treating her like she doesn't belong there. The people she's working with are second guessing her all the time and she's second guessing herself. So I found, you know, we don't really dive in there. Uh, in terms of like her inner monologue and everything. But I think there are different techniques in this movie to get a sense of who she is, right? She starts out as somebody who basically needs to let her, uh, the guy she's working with, kind of do most of the talking and kind of lead her through it. And slowly but surely, we kind of see her step up and get some strength of her own. Uh, Something we don't typically see portrayed is how like the journalists at that time had really, really close ties to the politicians to the point where, you know, she had... Uh, she had them hanging out in her backyard. And I thought that was like she had Robert McNamara in her backyard hanging out. That's kind of interesting. Um, I think when it comes to her story, I found that really compelling and, uh, you know, something that feels important today. Uh, it's definitely not the same movie as All the President's Men. It's not the same movie as Spotlight. Uh, sometimes it feels like unfair to judge these movies just because they talk about some, you know, some similar things. Spotlight is very much about the process of investigative journalism and the power of that and fighting through like, you know, uh, trying to tell a story that nobody wants you to tell. This one is some doing something very different. Uh, I do agree with you guys, though. Like, I feel like it could have gone deeper, you know, like both Lincoln and British Spies hit me in really deep and emotional ways. Um, I remember Dave, like you didn't really like Lincoln that much either. Like Lincoln is just a really, it's a weird film because at the end of the day, it's about, it's uh, you know, they're talking about a vote and it's not even going over like a really uh, significant period of time. Right. It's, it's just like a really, it's a slice of Lincoln's life. Um, I feel like this movie could have been a little more focused and that would have made it stronger. But as for what it is, like I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. Uh, I don't know how many times Tom Hanks has to like be the guy saving America in some way or <laughs> doing something amazing though. Right. Like he is just like, he has been casting everything at this point. Well, I think, you know, one of the problems that you're alluding to is, uh, this movie does not reckon with the implications of the Pentagon papers at all. Pretty much. Yeah. I, sure, I, it, right. it has, it is 
uninterested in what those papers mean really for America. It, it, the movie is primarily about this one decision that mm-hmm. the Post made, whether to uh, yeah. whether to publish them or not. And there are some I, benefits of taking mm-hmm. that approach, and there are some downsides. One of the downsides. Yeah, do you think, like, yeah, judging from the title, what are we getting into here? You know. Well, one of the benefits of that approach is that there, you can like amp up the drama and make it, you know, very mm-hmm. time sensitive and and oh, we got to decide whether to publish by midnight tonight. You know, like the, the, there's this deadline that you're heading to, and that kind of ratchets up the drama in a way that if it was just like a sprawling exploration of the implications of the Pentagon Papers, that this movie wouldn't. Yeah. Be. The disadvantage is that uh, it, the movie does feel, in my opinion, more slight, as Jeff would describe it, uh, and. It lends itself to the drama being occasionally silly. Uh, so there's this moment where Tom Hanks has a conversation with his wife. Tom Hanks' character has a conversation with his wife in this movie. And just suddenly realizes that Catherine Graham might have something at stake in publishing these papers. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, like, he decides, oh my gosh, I, just, I didn't realize that this might have, actually have implications. That, I mean, that's just very silly. Uh, it just, I don't believe at all that that would happen in that way or uh-huh. that that character would would need that conversation it's definitely a bit of audience hand holding yeah. yes uh and and just kind of diminishes the the uh gravity of the entire enterprise in my opinion yeah. um and the, the worst thing about that scene by the way is like right after that uh <laughs> you know Kate graham has another scene where she spells out what it means for her too yeah, we, we could have cut one of those. Right, right. Or cut uh, Tom Hanks's for sure. Yeah, cut so, Sarah Paulson completely out of the movie. Yeah, uh. yeah. Um, it's such a shame, too, after seeing Sarah Paulson do such an amazing job this year in var- yeah. various roles, uh, particularly as uh, uh, in, in the uh, People vs. O.J. Simpson. Right. Uh, so, uh, I, you know, I, at the same time as I thought this movie was only okay to good, I uh, I also recognize that the message it has is really important. You know, when I tweeted after I saw this movie, I said, "Watching the post is a disorienting experience. I can't believe we ever lived in a time when newspapers struggled financially, the media was considering abdicating its civic responsibilities, and the president was openly and violently antagonistic of the press." <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, these are the same struggles that we're dealing with today, yeah. uh, decades later, and it's an important story that that people need to be, be reminded of. I just wish that the movie. Uh, was more uh, substantial, you know, that there I was agree. more meat on that bone from the perspective of policy, from the perspective of, you know, what is it that, w- when does the president, uh, w- you know, when is something considered a crime if the president does it and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Uh, so I, I thought I would give it like a, a B, a solid B, wasn't yeah. bad, but uh, it's not my favorite of Spielberg's, probably not even my favorite of these last three movies that he's made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but it's buoyed by these very strong performances by Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Yeah. I also and think also, kind- uh, Matthew Rice, by the way, is Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, it feels like they pulled him straight out of the Americans. Yeah. Would have loved to see more of that performance and more of like what is going through that guy's head and how yeah. that influenced the post. There's well. a, so much going on in the real story that I just don't feel like the movie cares to to talk about it really is about one decision. And I think that that is, I just don't think that's the strength of the, of the uh, mm-hmm. script. I will say though, that uh, I really liked how they handled Nixon 
like using real recordings. Uh, I thought that was mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, Good Night and Good Luck, the George Clooney yes, film, where they which is another w- movie that's superior to this one. I think. Right? Yeah, where they had uh, actual footage of uh, Joseph McCarthy. So, you know, because yeah. if Nixon and Joseph McCarthy are real life figures, that if you have an actor playing them, it's very easy for that actor to be read as over the top. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. and so just using you know, in the case of this movie, they used uh, what appears to be an actor playing Nixon from behind, and then real life archival recordings of Nixon in audio. Uh, I thought that was a really clever way around I that agree. challenge. Yeah, my biggest takeaway from this movie, though, is that I cannot believe anybody published a newspaper before computers. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> like, the, so hard. The process of doing that is just insane. That was insane. Yeah. Well, there is this, uh, there used to be that tagline, like don't, uh, you know, irritate people or don't piss off people who buy ink by the barrel. Right. Yeah. And, right. and when you watch this movie, you really understand why that was the case. People that control the means of production of newspapers used to be, incredibly powerful right and it's because it was so insanely difficult to print this freaking thing and get it out to you know there's uh, literally an army of dudes putting (laughs) each letter metal letter into a press yes like that it, it just boggles my mind that people did that every day all over the world. Yeah, for, for a product that is not only going to be thrown out, is in many ways is meant to be thrown out in yeah, one day. The you, most you know, disposable throwing thing. piles of them out on the street, by the way, like just the yeah. rainy street. Like, I guess we're just going to throw away the bottom newspaper now because that's what they used to do. <laughs> that bottom newspaper really bothered Devinger, whoever got that one. Yeah, it's like uh, <laughs> you're just throwing away a uh, product there. Man, come on. There's a couple other things I want to praise about this movie. You know, I, I, I sounded kind of negative on it, but there, it does do a, a few things really well. Like I said, the performances are great, but mm-hmm. also uh, the way the movie uses just simple filmmaking elements like uh, set dressing. Uh, like costuming, you know, there's this moment when Catherine Graham enters, I think it's a shareholders meeting and it's her and like 50 dudes. Right. And you can just tell by the way they're all dressed, like she's starkly visually set apart from the rest of the crowd. Uh, And it shows how formidable this environment was that she had to enter in and establish herself. Uh, I thought it was well done from, from just a filmmaking perspective. So there, there were many little nice touches uh, throughout like that, that just showed that Spielberg is still operating at the top of his game. Yeah. I just think the story in this one uh, wasn't as strong as some of the other stories. I also think um, you guys uh, uh, go ahead. Kevin Lerner uh, tweeted this out that I thought was pretty interesting. Kevin Lerner, a journalism professor at Marist College, tweeted out, I am excited to see the post, but I share the concerns of those who think it should be a New York Times movie, not a Washington Post movie. Mm. I understand why it's said at the post. If nothing else, you can have Meryl Streep play Catherine Graham. How great must that be? Abe Rosenthal and Punch Salzberger weren't as sexy as Graham and Ben Bradley, who was also glamorous, more glamorous even than Tom Hanks. But the New York Times took on a real existential risk by publishing the Pentagon Papers. Rosenthal knew they were important, but he honestly feared that publishing them would destroy the New York Times and maybe even the United States. He agonized over the decision in a dense, nearly real-time journal he kept, which is now held in uh, the New York uh, archives. And it was the New York Times who had to come to terms with whether or not the Pentagon Papers 
papers would bring down their newspaper, and they even had to determine whether or not the papers were fake. Rosenthal had real fears that the papers were an elaborate hoax concocted by Students for a Democratic Society, and that the Times was being used as a tool to disseminate the papers. He claims he had nightmares about the SDS thing. Imagine that scene in the movie, the SDS nightmares of Abe Rosenthal. Anyway, uh, they, they end- could have they, the movie could have been structured where you get to see various newspaper rooms dealing with it in different ways. And I think that could have been much more interesting because you you get some of that in, in the movie, but it's all through the lens of these dudes in the post going like, wow, the guys over at the Times are really doing something crazy. And it's like <laughs> – yeah, that's the, like the least dramatic way to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, but you know? then, then Jeff, you wouldn't get the uh, the post agonizing over its uh, its its mission, you know, which is whether yeah. or not to produce celebrity pap or to actually right. you know do something that's good for society, right? And you right. you also can't contain this whole story, I think, in one movie, right? That 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 would be this is like a wire esque miniseries that would have to be done, uh, giving us every paper side of it. I would have liked to see more of the New York Times. Uh, for sure. You uh, could do a Dunkirk style where you cut between them <laughs> at different points in time. <laughs> and just know? like bombs exploding. They're in the all making the same decision, right? At, in, but <laughs> yeah. at different points in time. Yeah. Did you guys um, hear the story about this? 70 millimeter, <laughs> the post. Did you guys hear the story about this movie script, which I think is really yeah, interesting uh, too? Like by the, the original, Hanna, right? Yeah. She was the original writer of this. And like, this was her first big script, I believe. Like she'd been trying to get into Hollywood for a while. And I think her agent or somehow her the script got passed along and Amy Pascal called her and was like, we're, you know, we're, we're going to make this, which is insane to you. And uh, also she uh, they gave uh, who's it? Josh Singer had another pass at the script, too. And he is a co-writer on Spotlight. So it does have nice. a bit of that spotlight glow on it. Uh, but I found that really fascinating, too. Like, yeah. just, you know. Yeah, a screenwriter who's been struggling to get in. This is such a fairy tale story for this movie. Yeah, it's um, a, imagine your yeah. first script that you've yep. uh, you know being made is made by Steven Spielberg with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. That mm-hmm. is just an incredible story. So crazy. Bravo to Liz Hanna. Uh, I, I do think the script does many things well, and uh, the the characterization of Catherine Graham and um, Ben Bradley, I think, are among them. Uh, you know, to that tweet thread I was reading by Kevin Lerner, like the idea that someone was more glamorous than Tom Hanks. You know what I mean? Like that's, I thought that was a really compelling idea. Like Ben Bradley, he's like hobnobbing with presidents and, you know, Marilyn Monroe and all these people. And like, like what does that person have at risk? I, I thought that mm-hmm. was an interesting thing to reflect upon. But uh, overall, it sounds like we all liked the movie, but, you know, weren't, uh, you liked it a lot, Devendra. Jeff and I were, were only okay on it, right? Uh, yeah. We thought it was pretty good, but not... Not Spielberg's best and not particularly uh, illuminating other than, you know, uh, reiterating that we are, in fact, dealing with similar issues today and that that the place of the press is still important in today's age. Right. Mm hmm. So, yeah. Like, you know, I the parallels are there like and uh, K. Graham's story, I think. Yeah, that's something we have not seen on screen. Yeah. And kind of kind of a big deal. So it's important. It's worth noting, I think, that even as bad as it was back then, nobody was saying that anything that they posted wasn't the truth, which is uh, a pretty scary thing to think about. Whereas, you know, they were, they were uh, suing them and saying that they can't, shouldn't post these things. And it's, you know, it's uh, right. But anti-American to reveal our secret, all that stuff. But, but it Nixon wasn't, wasn't saying, saying it's lies. You're right? all, yeah, you're all <laughs> posting fake stories. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, and in many ways, I mean, I think the the place of the press is much more precarious today, you know, because of uh, for sure of how it's decentralized. It, there's no the, Americans, at least back then, read the newspaper. You know, uh, we uh, we didn't have one equally important outlet that was just parroting what Nixon was saying or worse giving him talking points because he watches their show in the every morning. I wonder what it, you're you talking know. about. Are you talking about Air yeah. America, Jeff? No, I'm just joking. Um so yeah, it's it, it, the the challenges have only deepened in our present day and uh it it does kind of show it holds a mirror up to our society in a way and asks us like what kind of society do we want to be? What do we want our press to be? Uh, and I, I like that about this movie a lot. So it's not that I just didn't like the movie. I just wish it was something that I felt like, oh, my gosh, that was incredible. I can't – I have all these thoughts about you know the Pentagon Papers and, and journalism and, and I need to like talk about them. And I just felt like, oh, it's about this one decision. It's you – know, yeah. it, it, there's a lot of drama behind this decision. It, it kind of took the um, – you know, I, 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 we might disagree on this, but I feel like it has about as much to say about uh, the Pentagon Papers and president and executive power as like the social network had to say about you know social networking technology. I, I don't think the social network was primarily about it. Right. I think it was about the human drama between these characters. You know, some of whom thought their ideas were stolen from each other. And yeah, um, and it's it's the Shakespearean drama of exactly. That situation. Exactly, it is not. It's not about yeah. It's not protect. about policy. It's not about you know these other things. So. Yeah, anyway. and I definitely enjoy the post on that level. It's not a primer for the Pentagon Papers or anything or their impact in society. It's more like this specific moment. What does it mean? Uh, I don't know. I just really like these types of films from Spielberg, and I hope uh, after Ready Player One, we'll, we'll have another one. See, guys, doesn't that movie look so rough though? Oh, like, man. aren't you guys like it? Is, it the book is not me. good. The book it's is terrible. not good. Yeah. yeah. Have yeah. you seen that Sorry. poster? <laughs> go go look at the poster. For Ready Player think... One, and tell me what the hell is wrong with his leg. <laughs> the proportion of his leg is like that's the official poster too. That's the one that's everywhere. The proportion of the dude's leg is like twice as long as his other leg, and the, none of it makes any sense. That's even I a think character. There's, being a, taken there's a movie. chance that the movie is is fun. I think you, there could. Yeah. I think actually the movie could be better than the book, but uh, I, I hope know so. this is. Yeah. I know this is. I, I have uh, been waiting for Spielberg to kind of return to the kind of Indiana Jones, you know, style of filmmaking from way back in the day, and this seems to herald it. Uh, well, but like it this. probably Not will like have this. Indiana Jones in it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think he said uh, none of his things will be in it. That, that was sort of like mm. the thing. Well, but it has Back like to all the Future of... is his thing in a way. Yeah, mm. he produced it, right? Mm. Uh, but we're seeing like Overwatch and we're seeing modern pop culture and stuff too. Mm. The movie seems much more interesting than whatever the book was doing. The book was not great. So, All yeah. right. Well, uh, looking forward to talking about that with you guys. Uh, in the meantime, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our spoiler bumper is usually brought to you by filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. And stay tuned to hear what we'll be doing next week. But before I ask you guys where you can find more of your work, I just want to say uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening this year. Really yeah. appreciate it. Uh, oh, hey, it's the and, last episode. Oh, is it the last episode yeah, of the year? It's the last episode yeah. of 2017. So oh. Oh. Hope you guys it's had a great, a great holiday. Year. Yep. 
yeah, yeah, thanks to you guys too. Uh, it's been it's been a really fun year. We've had some awesome guests on. Yeah, and uh, yeah, thanks to every single person that has downloaded the show and shared it with a friend or talked about it. It, it it's really how we get the word out. So uh, I think it, it has actually us. been one of the best years from a movies perspective since mm-hmm. we've been yeah, doing the yeah. show. Yeah, you know, like, I'm certainly having a hard time narrowing yeah, down the list. It's yeah. a tough year to do a top ten. So. Uh, okay, Jeff Kanata, where can I find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I have lots of other shows. Uh, why not check out DLC, which is my long-form video game show. We just did our Game of the Year episode, as I mentioned earlier, uh, which is fun, a two-hour show where we narrow down the best games. Talk about how good movies were this year. Video games, one of the best years of all time. So good, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's a fun listen. You can find that at 5by5.tv slash DLC. Uh, I have lots of other shows. The other one I'd love for you to check out if you're into video games at all uh, and you have Hulu, give a look at Defining Moments. You can find that on Hulu by searching for Defining Moments. I think the official title is ESL Defining Moments. And it's all about esports, and uh, it's kind of like uh, thirty for thirty. It's about big, cool moments in the history of esports, and I think you'll I think you'll dig it. So check that out on Hulu. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra and write about tech and gadget.com. Not much happening there right now, but uh, we are prepping for CS Madness, and that's going to be the first couple of weeks of January. Find Whee! all find all my stuff at DaveChen.net, and next week we'll be counting down our top ten movies of twenty seventeen. So uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that with you guys. And yeah. uh, we might record that episode like a couple days later. Like we try to release on Tuesday night every week. Uh, that episode might come a day or two late, but, you know, uh, stay tuned for it. It should be a lot of fun. So thanks for listening to the Slash Filmcast this year. We're out. Get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.